Wellspring podcast is presented by Wellspring of Life Church, a community of faith, hope, and purpose. As Marilyn said, we were at a wedding last night, so we didn't do church last night, which means I did not give a sermon last night in James. And so to stay on track with both churches, not going to be doing James this morning. We'll get back on that next week. Have a different message, kind of what I would refer to as a standalone sermon that we want to give this morning, uh, a passage of scripture from the Old Testament that I really felt the Holy Spirit kind of shining his flashlight on, you know, and saying, this is, this is what I want you to talk about. So we're going we're gonna to be in the Old Testament. Today, we're going to look at a story of an Old Testament prophet. A prophet to whom God said, in effect, you're wallowing, wallowing around in a bad place and you need to snap out of it. And then he told him the steps he needed to take in order to get back on track. Hey, have you ever found your place, your, your life in a place where you've needed to get back on track? <laughs> Anybody? Yeah, and it's true for everyone, no matter where you are in your spiritual walk with Jesus. Those times occur when we need to get back on track. You know, those times when you, when you find yourself in an unproductive place or a self-destructive place, moving in the wrong direction maybe, or maybe even needing to climb out of a pit of self-pity, a pit of despair. Well, today's message will help you snap out of what you need to snap out of and get back on track with whatever it is you need to get back on track with. <laughs> the prophet we're going to be looking at, some of you perhaps who are familiar with your Old Testament have figured it out, it's Jeremiah. And so if you have your Bibles, turn to Jeremiah chapter 15, okay? Because that's where we're going to be. Jeremiah, as some of you are aware, was, is known, is referred to as the weeping prophet. Why? Because he shed tears over the sins of Israel, and he wanted to see the nation move back into a right relationship with God. Jeremiah basically is saying, man, I, I long from the depths of my heart to see my nation get back on track with God, and they, they had kind of lost their way. Now, we also want to know that Jeremiah, who delivered lots of prophecy with regards to God's judgment, did not deliver those prophecies of God's judgment condemningly or in an uncaring manner. He delivered them from a broken heart with tear-filled eyes. I think that's why God chose him, because Jeremiah's heart was very much like the heart of our Heavenly Father. And it is in that context, folks, that I want us to listen to, to lend an ear to whatever God might want to say to you today through the prophet Jeremiah. You see, there are times in our lives when we need to be talked to <laughs> by God. And we all love that, don't we? No, you don't. <laughs> we don't like being talked to by anybody. And maybe we could even safely say, especially God. But we all know, truthfully, and for to be honest, there are times when we need to get talked to by him, by our God. But that's a good thing, really, isn't it? Some of you know that to be true. 
We need to get talked to by him. And so that's what we have here in Jeremiah 15. In the case of Jeremiah, he is being talked to by God. In this chapter, we find the prophet weeping. But in this particular case, here in chapter 15, he's not so much weeping over Judah, his nation. He's basically weeping over himself, over his circumstance, the situation that he is in. And so basically this passage here in chapter 15 is a dialogue that is taking place between Jeremiah and God. Feeling overwhelmed by his opposition, and Jeremiah had plenty of opposition coming against him. Feeling overwhelmed by that in verse 10, he cries out in despair, claiming that everybody hates him. And then in verse 11, God responds by telling Jeremiah that he has a good plan planned for him. And in the midst of the dialogue, God turns to address the nation Judah in verses 12 through 14. But his words to Judah are also for Jeremiah's benefit. That is, his words to Judah are part of his answer to Jeremiah. Jeremiah, I know you're feeling the, the, the struggle and the hardship and the opposition, but I'm working. I'm doing a good thing here. And he's trying to explain that to Jeremiah. And that brings us to Jeremiah's response to what God has been saying. Verse 15, let's pick it up there, okay? Lord, you understand. Remember now, this is Jeremiah responding back to God. Lord, you understand, remember me, and care for me. In other words, Lord, you know, you know, you know, okay? Avenge me on my persecutors. You are long-suffering. Do not take me away. Think of how I have, I suffer reproach for your sake. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. I never sat in the company of revelers, never made merry with them. I sat alone because your hand was on me and you had filled me with indignation. Apparently, what we have here in verses 15, and we're going to pick up 18 in a moment, apparently not satisfied with God's answer. Jeremiah complains about how hard his life has been. And as he's talking to God, he begins to review his resume, reminding God as if God needs to be reminded, right, of how much he loves his word and how he never sits in the company of the party crowd and how he doesn't run around with the wrong kind of people. But then, but then, look at what he says in verse 18. Why is my pain unending and my wound grievous and incurable? And then check this out. You are to me like a deceptive brook, like a spring that fails. Wow. <laughs> Can you believe that? He accuses God of not giving him the support that God had promised. 
Can you imagine saying to God, you are to me like a deceptive, I underline that word, <laughs> like a spring that fails, another underlined word. Deceptive fails, God. The word used here is a, an obscure Hebrew term, actually, that isn't really used for brook or spring. It's an obscure term for waters. In this figure of speech, Jeremiah is comparing God to a stream of water that looks as though it's going to always flow, never dry up, but then dries up and disappears. Common in the arid part of Israel where Jeremiah is. Literally, the ending phrase here, it could be translated as waters that are not faithful or waters that cannot be trusted is basically what Jeremiah is responding to God with. He's basically saying, God, I don't know if I can count on you. You're not keeping your side of the bargain. I'm doing everything <laughs> on my end, and, oh, and you're doing nothing. Whoa. This is a strong accusation to bring against our faithful. Promise-making, promise-keeping God, amen? But, but Jeremiah isn't feeling it. <laughs> and it comes with no small amount of self-pity at this point. Now, we're about to look at God's response to Jeremiah's complaint and his literally crossing the line with what is allowed in terms of lamenting, okay? He, Jeremiah crosses the line here. And we need to know that when we let our perspective become distorted and we start to blame others and we start to blame God and we start feeling sorry for our, ourselves and accuse God of being unreliable and unfaithful, you know what happens at that point? Attitudes we begin to adopt that are sinful, sinful attitudes, and bad behaviors. And so God will say to you what he said to Jeremiah, <laughs> what he said to the prophet. And look at what he says now in verse 19. This is God responding back to Jeremiah's complaining. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. If you repent... I will restore you that you may serve me. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesman. Let this people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. If you find yourself facing some situations that you know in your heart need to snap out of, okay? If you find yourself floundering, having wandered off the faith path and needing to get back on track, then once again, listen up to what the Spirit of the Lord might be wanting to say to you today, okay? So first of all, we see here in God's response to Jeremiah in the first part of verse 19 that we are to take responsibility. If you're busy blaming God, or blaming others for your lot in life, it's time to do an about-face, folks, and take responsibility. It's time to repent, like God told Jeremiah. 
Repent for your actions and their outcomes. It's time to say, God, I'm in this situation because I chose to think this and I chose to say that and I chose to do this and that (laughs) my way instead of your way. I was stubborn. I was selfish. I was irresponsible and so on and so on and so on. You fill in the blanks. How many of you know that it's not easy owning up? (laughs) Anybody struggle with that? We all do, don't we? It's not easy owning up to our bad behavior. But it's necessary. Can you say amen? amen? But it is a must. It is necessary. There will be no turnabout in your life until you're willing to look at yourself square in the eye and acknowledge your role, your part in your current circumstance. Far too many people, I think, begin this step, but they take it no further, unfortunately. They admit, perhaps, that they've made mistakes, that they've made a mess of things, but then never go a step further, never go anywhere from there, wallowing in their guilt and misery, and they let their shame hold them back from ever moving forward. And I want you to know, church, that this is not what God wants. This is not his plan and his desire for you, and this is not where repentance is intended to ultimately take you where you just feel guilty all the time. Listen again to what God says to Jeremiah in the first part of verse 19. If you repent, I will restore you that you may serve me. Repentance is all about restoration. Amen. Repentance is all about getting back on track. Back to the place where God can begin to use you, work through you, shine through you once again. And here's what I'm assuming at this point, that every single one of you care about being used by God. (laughs) I'm assuming that there's not a soul in this room right now that could care less about caring for others and being used by God. I'm hoping that is not where your heart is at. If you're stuck in sin, if you're playing the blame game, if you're wallowing in self-pity, you know what you're doing? You are limiting yourself to what God can do in your life. But when you're ready to climb out of the self-pity pit and those self-destructive attitudes and behavior and take responsibility and turn your heart toward God in repentance, he will begin the process of restoration. That is such a good word, church, restoration. And he will prepare you to be useful for him. God requires repentance. Don't ever forget that. He requires it from his people. There is no doubt about it. And with repentance, as we've just said, comes restoration. And with restoration comes a whole new world of freedom 
in Jesus Christ. And with that freedom, opportunity to serve him in his kingdom and make a difference. Again, I am assuming you want your life to make a difference for Jesus. Yeah? Good. If you find yourself off track and need to get back on track, begin with taking responsibility. Begin with repentance. And let God begin his work of restoration in your life. It's a good thing, folks. The next thing that needs to happen that we see here that God shares with Jeremiah, therefore with us, is we need to speak words of value. In other words, speak what you know to be true about God. That makes sense? Yeah. Speak what you know to be true about God. Not what you might be feeling in the moment because of your circumstances, but what you know to be true because of what God's word says. And not goofy, misleading feelings that are worthless. Speak words that mean something. Words that are worth something. This is exactly what God says to Jeremiah in the middle of verse 19. If you utter worthy, not worthless words, you will be my spokesman. You see, with every conversation, God wants us to speak the empowering truth, folks. Empowering truth. Based on faith in his promises. When we talk and talk and talk and, you know, and just keep going on about how bad things are, about how bad the situation is and how everything is falling apart and how nothing is getting better and woe is me because it's not my fault. You know what you're doing? You're not making things better. You are actually making things worse. It's worthless, useless, insignificant, nonsense talk. It has no value. Because you see, that kind of talk, as I've just said, tends to make every situation worse. God wants us to speak... Folks, not only the truth, but the empowering truth. There is a difference between the two. The truth may be that the situation is a mess. Anyone can see it and anyone can say it. The empowering truth is that God can take that mess and turn it and change it and redeem it. The truth may be that you've made a ton of mistakes and now you're paying the price. The empowering truth is that God can restore you and redeem any situation because his great grace is greater than our sin. Amen? Speaking the empowering truth means that you don't uselessly criticize the way things are. But instead, through faith, proclaim. I like this. Instead, in faith, proclaim what God is able to do. Amen. Claim that. Proclaim that. 
And the most effective way, hear this, folks, the most effective way for you to proclaim what God is able to do is if you have allowed God to do what he is able to do in you. In the book of Ephesians, the apostle Paul says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it benefits those who listen. Ephesians 4.29. Conversations that build up others, those are the worthy words. God spoke about to Jeremiah that he's speaking to us. And when you speak worthy words, words of value, God makes a promise in this 19th verse. You will be my spokesperson. I love that promise. If you've gotten in the habit of speaking only what you feel, speaking only what you see through the cynical eyes of doubt, it's time to get back on track and start speaking words of value, words of faith. It's not that you'll never acknowledge the situation as terrible. It's that you'll learn to say, instead, God has the power to turn things around. He will change me. He will redeem the situation. And you will experience in that process his power and his presence in a whole new way. One more thing that God has to say. He said at the last part of verse 19, which is basically this, be an influencer, not the influenced. God said to Jeremiah, let this people turn to you, but you must not turn to them. The New Living Translation helps us understand what God is saying here. Here's how that translation reads. You must influence them. Do not let them influence you. You've seen it like I've seen it. People often make the mistake of listening to the wrong voice. <laughs> and you know as well as I do, there is no shortage of that out there. <laughs> the airwaves are filled with it. No shortage of it. People often make that mistake and allow themselves in that process to be influenced, unfortunately, in a negative way having much more impact on us than we might care to even acknowledge. This happens in a lot of different places, such as the workplace. But you know where else it happens? In churches, too. Happens at the church place. Most often, it's not the people who are actively engaged in the work of ministry and serving. It's usually the people with too much time on their hands. <laughs> not enough love or passion for serving Christ and his people. You know as well as I do, it's very easy and so tempting to let yourself be influenced by those 
who have nothing good to say. Amen? It's always negative, always critical, always alarming, and, and I dare I say always false. <laughs> Let's face it, a good number of people would rather be influenced by others than be an influencer on others. You want to know why? Because in order to be an influence on others, you have to take responsibility for your beliefs. Your opinions, your ideas, your words, your actions. You can't just be one who stands back and criticizes everything around you. You have to take responsibility for doing your part and being a part of the solution to create change. Good change. Biblical change. God-ordained solution and change. It's a question we all must ask ourselves. Do I influence others more than they influence me? Am I turned by the culture around me? Or do I have the courage to stand, even if it means standing alone against the tide? If you love to talk about the Lord around your church going, friends, but join in the laughter around your dirty joke-telling friends. If you put the pursuit of godliness on the back burner when you're around your unbelieving friends, then you've got some getting back on track to do. You've got to decide. I will not be influenced by a culture that does not value the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? I will instead be influenced by his word and I will seek to be a godly influence on others. And when God spoke these words to Jeremiah, he made it clear that he wasn't promising him an easy life, nor does he to us. He made it clear that Jeremiah would face challenges along the way. And here's what else God promised Jeremiah Look at verse 20 and 21 with me. He says, I will make you a wall to this people, a fortified wall of bronze. They will fight against you, but will not overcome you, for I am with you. I will save you from the hands of the wicked and deliver you from the grasp of the cruel. And you folks, that's what God is saying to you and me today. The same thing he spoke to Jeremiah. It's not that your life won't have challenges. It's that he's ready to make you into a fortified wall of bronze. Now, we've got to figure out, well, what does that mean to us? <laughs> Had significance in ancient times, but it needs to have just as much significance for us in Judah in ancient times, the walls were made of stone, right? Usually the cap of that stone wall was a mud cap. And so that stone wall could come down by a battering ram. Another way that the enemy would penetrate a city with a wall, stone wall around it is they would dig underneath it. They would tunnel underneath the wall. Two things would occur. Not only now do they have an entrance in, but it also caused that wall to cave in and fall apart, creating a gap 
in the wall, making them vulnerable to the attack. God says here, unlike Jonah, Judah's stone walls, I will make you an infinitely strong and impenetrable wall, one that cannot be breached. Why? Here's why. And here's the significance for you and I today. So that no attitude, no culture, no enemy, no problem, no circumstance can overcome you. Fortified wall of bronze. Choosing God's way, folks, is inviting his presence and his presence makes all the difference in our lives. And so today, if you're not where you need to be spiritually and your situation is getting the best of you, well then, it's time to wake up. Time to come to your senses. Time to take ownership of where your life is and where it's headed. It's time to get back on track. Don't put it off another day. God is ready to restore you now. He's ready to bring you to that place you need to be so that you can serve him with all your heart, with all that is within you, to make a difference in the lives of others. And he will build you into a mighty wall that no enemy can bring down. Don't wait till tomorrow to experience the life that God has for you today. Have the courage to say, I choose this moment to snap out of my sinful attitudes and get back on track. And here it is, folks, with a life of obedience. Key word. And a, a while back in one of Lucado's devotionals, he wrote this. Queen Esther faced an immovable wall and the possibility of death for making the wrong move. I added a little bit to his devotion of this short little sentence, but God turned Esther into an immovable wall. <laughs> Amen. All right, on with his devotional. Esther, rather than rush into the throne room of King Xerxes, she humbled herself and stepped into the throne room of God. Oh, I like that. She knew that God's intervention was the only hope. It wasn't Esther's glamour that opened the throne room door. It was her prayers. She came before the king in beauty only after she lingered before the king of kings in humility. Aren't we called to do the same. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for this really encouraging word from the book of Jeremiah. And I say encouraging and knowing and realizing that there may have been parts there where, where we did feel like God having to talk to us, maybe bringing about some conviction. But like I like to say here, Conviction is our friend 
nothing to run from, nothing to be afraid of, something to turn to, especially when your spirit brings that up and stirs that up in our hearts. Therefore, making it a good word, a word of encouragement, a word that brings about change and transformation, a word that draws us closer to you. And so, God, God, I pray that today that be the case for every single one of us in this room. Regardless of where we might think we are in our walk with you, there are times, and maybe for some today, it is a time to get back on track, to take it seriously. To not just think about it, not just talk about it, but do it. I pray this in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Wellspring of Life Church in Western Colorado. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please visit wellspringoflifechurch.com.